We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to. second and 14 in a tie game. Edmonton deep in their own territory. Mike Riley under pressure, but he gets away from it. And throws on the move, deep downfield, he's got the Duke! Duke Williams, and he goes! Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was some guy. Chris, why don't you tell me his name? Rod Smith, simple. TSN, in Canada, with some long-ass touchdown... To Duke Williams. <laughs> and before we even get into anything, what did you guys think of that brand new hot intro that I made? Get at me, Rockpile Report on Twitter. Let me know if you like it. Oh, Jesus. Coach, guys, we have a we, we've reached the week of coaching musical chairs. All of the coaching vacancies in the NFL are seemingly going to be filled over the span of six or seven days. Since the last time we recorded... It's crazy. It's all offensive. Vic Fangio's the only defensive guy to get a job. I mean, some of them just don't make any sense to me. I mean, look, look, Chris, okay. They're reaching is what they are. Bruce Arians. The guy flat out said that the only job he would come back for is Cleveland. The and job Tampa. Was, the job was open, and suddenly he comes out of retirement for what? For well, he, he said he wanted Tampa. He said Tampa and Cleveland. Jesus. Tampa, really? Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe the weather. The mistake on the lake, or the third most irrelevant Florida football team. Fourth, if you count Florida University. <laughs> Jesus no. Christ! No. What are we doing here? What everybody's doing is you're trying to you're trying to catch the next McVeigh. Is what everybody's trying to do. Oh my God! Did you see what McVeigh did in L.A.? That's cool. All right, Bears hire Matt Nagy. Oh, my God, that still worked. Oh, we got to get somebody that's 30, offensive, go find me one. 
Oh, we found this dude in college that got fired and got a OC job at another college. Get him. He's 30. He knows offense. There's He's a rap, 30. There's a video of him dancing, uh, dancing to rap music with his players. That's what we need to run our franchise. Folks, what a weekend of football. <laughs> what a what a last few days it's been. We got to talk about all kinds of things that are going on, including some breaking news that happened just as we sat down to record this podcast. But wild card weekend. First and foremost, I got to tell you, I promised I wasn't going to yell. I you said, did. "Listen, there's no Bills football. Why would I be yelling and cussing in my uh, in my house?" You yelled, <laughs> most likely officiating. It took Less than 20 minutes into the start of the Chargers-Baltimore game. Just, yeah. just, ah, God. Yeah, I would assume some of the officiating I, I mean, you yelled at. And then, obviously, Lamar Jackson, he had, like, what, two passing yards at halftime? Can we agree that that guy stinks on ice? I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, first, I give a little bit of credit to the Chargers' defense. They employed seven defensive backs. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure it's been widely publicized by now. They put seven DBs on the field specifically to deter him from trying to throw the ball because they realized that he's like Tyrod Taylor. Unless you're wide open, he's not throwing the ball. Where have I heard that? They gave him the Tyrod Taylor treatment, and it worked even better than, oh, Jesus. Where have I heard that before? We're just trying to make him a quarterback. (laughs) I've heard that somewhere. I've heard that. I've heard that somewhere. Every post-game interview with the defense we lost to. And then, Chris, the highlight of the game that nobody's talking about. I'm shocked that this isn't an issue, considering the climate and social media today. The picture you tweeted? The picture that I tweeted out, folks. After, Desha- after uh, Lamar Jackson comes out and turns the ball over in the second half of the game, he goes back to the bench and he sits down. He's sitting directly on the end of the bench. Directly to his left is Joe Flacco. Has his helmet on. He's you know he's 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 amped. He's waiting for his sh- name to get called, his shot to come, and him him to get put in the game. And on the other side of him is RG three. <laughs> They're trying to talk about the interception that, that Lamar Jackson just threw, and Joe Flacco actually slides forward a little bit so that RG three can talk to Jackson about it over his shoulders. That's how little help Joe Flacco was willing to give that kid. Oh, you said he was going to do that in uh, OTAs. He's, that's <laughs> coaching. I don't got to help this dude. I'm trying to hold on to my job. Oh, it was hysterical. This kid is is drowning. And Joe Flacco just says, you know what? This isn't my pro- Not my monkeys, not my circus. He just leans forward, stares at the field, and lets star quarterback RG3 try to coach Lamar Jackson out of the hole that he's put this team in. <laughs> that was probably the highlight of the entire weekend for me. Outside of the fact that somehow I won a Seagram's bet because Chris, like an idiot, Bet against all that big Nick energy that uh, the Eagles seem to be walking around with these days. You're making it seem like the Eagles blew out the Bears. They didn't. Stop betting against Nick Foles. They blocked a field goal at the end of the game. Stop Double doing. Stop betting against Nick Foles. Stop doing it. (laughs) You enjoyed that, Seagrams, didn't you? Yeah, we can do another one for this weekend. Oh, you know we will. And with that... We jump right into, as we do every week, the Bills News Update. The Buffalo Bills are polling the people, Chris. 
A few months ago, we announced that the Buffalo Bills had retained the firm's CAA icon to help them vet all of their options in terms of you know, what to do with their stadium situation. That's of particular interest to you and I, considering we're both season ticket holders. Season ticket holders received an email this week regarding a poll from CAA Icon about stadium needs and just a kind of a questionnaire as far as how fans feel about the current stadium and what they would want in a future stadium. And it seems to be building the narrative of, you know, they, they want the public's input as far as what the decision might be, whether they renovate the current building or whether or not there's a public outcry for a brand new facility. Now, Chris, as someone who just finished your first season as a season ticket holder, I mean, this is Chris, this has to be the first time you've attended every home game, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Make note of that, Potter. <laughs> you love throw. I can't wait for him to beat you up again. I can't wait. I love this. He's going to slap you in the million-dollar dream, and I'm going to sit back and eat beef jerky and watch it happen. So now, with having taken in the stadium, the game day experience, everything that goes along with it, and looking at the questionnaire that you and I looked at earlier, first and foremost, comfort versus cost. For you, what's more important as a brand new season ticket holder, somebody who's just walking through the door, the comfort level of the stadium as it currently stands versus the price tag possibly increasing if they do decide to change it. What's more important to those two things to you? Well, when you say comfort versus cost, I have to lean cost because I have to factor in my experience, my personal experience (laughs) on game day. And sitting next to you is wildly uncomfortable. You never know what's going to come out of your goddamn mouth. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. You know, nobody wants some drunken behemoth next to them. Especially a family of four. <laughs> PSLs, Chris. No. When it comes to PSLs and no. having to possibly play, pay for a private seat license, if I came to you and said, hey, I'm going to need you to give me $1,800 up front right now so that... I- you can then have the privilege of paying me $400 for your seasons next year. And then I would say, do you accept Monopoly money? <laughs> I'm not doing that. You wouldn't. Even no. If it, even if it meant the possibility of losing the team. We wouldn't lose the team. T-Pegs ain't going to sell or move. Okay. When it comes down to your personal opinion on the stadium as to where it stands, renovation or rebuilding, do you have a significant issue enough with the current building that you would want to leave? Or that you, because again, you've just started attending these games on an annual basis. I don't have a problem where it is now, and I also won't mind if it's downtown. Ew. Ew. That's the, that's the worst idea I've heard. This no, downtown don't... stadium idea. Do you know how much money would have to get dumped into the infrastructure of downtown Buffalo to make that viable? You see what it is on a daily commute with people trying to leave downtown Buffalo via the Skyway. Now put another 80,000 people down there. That's what you would have. It would take hours to get out of downtown Buffalo without significant enhancements to the current infrastructure. That's just reality. I believe in a a weekend, if we got 10 people, we could clear out Perry Projects, no problem. (laughs) You're an idiot. There's, a, there's so many spots where they've speculated, like the Perry Projects. They, they've, talked about, you know, the, 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 they've talked about 
the waterfront district. They've talked about downtown near Harbor Center. None of these are, in my mind, these are all non-starters, Chris. Then put it on Lake Erie, Bills Island. <laughs> I'm going to call something Bills Island and fucking maroon you that's on Mike it. That's Sho- what I'm going to do. That's Mike Shope's idea from WCR. Mike Sh- exactly. You took the idea from an asshole, and that's an asshole idea. Take a ferry into the middle of the lake. Here's what I think, people. I'm listening to Chris talk, and I guess here's my thing. When you talk about how you don't care if it moves, here's what I'll say. Me personally, I'm, I have grown very attached to the current location of the stadium. We have a parking lot where I've parked for over a decade. The owner of the lot, even though he parks almost 300 cars, Chris, would you say, on a, on a nice day where half the lot isn't a, just a disaster when the Bills are winning, he can park 300 cars. That seems about right. Okay. He knows me by face. We have conversations. We Everyone knows you by face. Well, yeah. It's have hard. you looked in a mirror and smiled? <laughs> he knows me. I've been here. People know where to find me in this parking lot because that's been my home. These seats in this stadium with these sight lines have been my home. I'm one of the people who believes that you go to the Buffalo Bills Stadium you see sight lines that you go to places like the, uh, what is it, FedEx Field in Washington. They'd kill for what we have. Their stadium sucks. There's newer stadiums that have been built that are somehow worse from a spectator standpoint than New Era Field. And that blows my mind because they're more modern facilities. Yes, we're bare bones. We don't have any of the amenities that a lot of these other places have. But Chris... We don't need them. I don't need a. I don't need a strip mall attached to my goddamn football stadium. No, we don't need that. I don't need it. I don't need that. I mean, we're gonna put a link to link to the poll in tonight's write up, and I'm I'm gonna go take it as soon as we're done recording because I feel like this is important and our input is our input is going to be registered somewhere because they need to understand what their options are. But we talked about it a few week, weeks ago on the show. The money isn't here to sell PSLs in this area. The, the per-family income just isn't here for people to try to, to try to justify forking over two to $5,000 in advance of buying season tickets. It's just not feasible. It wasn't, it wasn't the last time when the Wilson family investigated it. Nothing significantly enough to sway that has changed since then. So... Chris, I think this is important. And I think that if you really believe that renovation is the way we should go, like I do, or if you don't, make your voice heard. Go to the website, take the, just take the questionnaire. Fill it out because it's important. It's important to this franchise. It's important to the future. Now, and Chris, so we're, talk, we're sitting here talking about the future. <laughs> to change gears, the Bills have brought in a piece of what they think might be the future by signing a guy named Duke Williams. Hello, ladies. It's awesome. We bring him back in. Had to take a leave of absence to go get me a Khalifa. Wife it up. Come whoa, back. Whoa, we need. Whoa. We need. Chris, we need depth and safety. Chris, wrong. Gonna, wrong, Duke Williams. God damn. Wrong Duke Williams. No, this isn't the one who tried to hit on a porn star and got asked the question, who the hell is you? <laughs> I, I thought it was that. 
No, Chris Williams. We are talking about CFL, the, the CFL's leading wide receiver, Duke Williams. For those of you not familiar with this show's longstanding uh, and sordid history, Chris became obsessed with Duke Williams, who the, the safety just slid into the DMs. I played at FSU. I played. I played pro football. You were a fourth round draft pick or whatever. You are not sliding into Mia Khalifa's DMs. This Bills player who tried hitting on a porn star and then got put on blast for it. it, it no, Chris, this is not that Duke Williams. Can I can I start by saying that how smart it is of him to sign with Buffalo? Now, Why is that? Because I assume you get release. Edmonton releases you knowing that you have all these offers from NFL teams. So if you have three or four offers from NFL teams, and I assume money wise they're around the same because it's a futures contract. So if you're looking at all these, and then you look, oh Buffalo Bills. Let's see. Oh, they have Zay Jones, second-round pick, and undrafted Robert Foster. Let me go there because I know I can make the 53 easy. They don't have, we don't have anybody. Okay, let's slow that down. Let's slow that down a little bit, and let's talk about this, Chris. First of all, Duke Williams, the CFL's leading receiver from last season for the, what is it, the Edmonton Eskimos? Yes, Edmonton Eskimos. Okay. Well, first and foremost, I know Duke Williams, and I knew him before anyone else did. Because I remember Alabama having to play him when he was an Auburn Tiger. Fuck that guy. <laughs> okay, now that I've got that off my chest. I mean, Chris, little girls all over Canada are heartbroken about his departure. I mean, I'm sure by now you've all seen the video of the little girl bawling her eyes out when her father tells her Duke Williams is leaving the Eskimos. Chris actually made fun of her because she had a Canadian accent. And it's not as good as the, the, the girl that cried about T.J. Oshie. Well, no, because... Because he's not T.J. Oshie. <laughs> but he led the CFL in receiving. I mean, 88 receptions for 1,579 yards and 11 touchdowns. And he rest- Chris, I think one of the most important parts of this signing. He restocks the team in their supply of guys with the last name Williams. <laughs> I mean, with Kyle, Will- with Kyle Williams leaving, I was worried that we were going to start running low. Thank God we topped off before the draft even got started. Uh, in, in reality, folks, this is a low-key signing that has some upside. First of all, cheap wide receiver contract. He's not going to be making uh, – Chris, I, I, will, I will eat the bottle cap off of this thing <laughs> if he's making more than a million a year. I yeah. guarantee you it won't be. I don't, even, I don't even know what the ramifications are of signing a futures contract and what that entails. No, it's essentially low money. It's about league. I think it's league minimum. But you know that you're going to, hey, this is for next year because you sign a futures contract because it's not the new year yet. So technically a new deal can't be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So with that, this guy brings size to the wide receiver group that we need. At six foot two, 225. And for anybody who doubts his physicality, there is a viral video. It's it's out there online. We've retweeted it. Go check out our timeline right now at Rockpile Report on Twitter. There's a defensive back taunting somebody on the other side of the line of scrimmage in the middle of a CFL football game. And then the ball gets snapped, and this defensive back gets run over as if he was hit by a moving vehicle. That moving vehicle was Duke Williams. He knocked that guy on his ass. He has the requisite physicality at the line of scrimmage to play the wide receiver position. 
it's it's Chris. It's a low risk, high reward signing. That's all it is. I've seen people talk. I've seen people waste their time writing entire blogs about this. Here's what I'll say: the kid faces some significant hurdles to making the NFL. First and foremost, nuances. But there's some nuance difference between the CFL and the NFL. There's the psychological aspect. No wide receiver running start. In the NFL, only one player can be moving at a time on offense when the ball gets snapped. Otherwise, you get called for a legal shift, and it's a five-yard penalty. In the CFL, anybody can be moving at any time. Okay, As long as you're not on the line of scrimmage, you can be moving at any time, and wide receivers can actually lower their head and run full bore towards the line of scrimmage. And if they time it right, as long as they're crossing the line as the ball gets snapped, it's completely legal. So it gives you an extra burst to get off of jams at the line of scrimmage, which I'm pretty sure is how he, uh, Duke Williams just took that guy's soul in that video. Not only does that change to having to be set pre-snap affect that player, but it could make them hesitant, okay, just mentally. Football is all about muscle memory, and it's about reacting without having to see. You just know where you're supposed to be. You know what's supposed to happen around you. That change could be big for him to pick up. If he's also, I mean, think about that, Chris. Now you can't just go out there and play the game that you played at a high level in Canada. You have to throw in these extra wrinkles that every play you're thinking about. Okay, who else is moving? Who else has to move on this play? Am I going to be set? Am I going to be ready? What's that guy doing? I better look to my left. I better look to my right. You can't be successful at wide receiver with that in your head when your mind is in three places at once. You have to go out there and execute. And so for me, it's like it's not just and it's not just about how his adaption to it, but how he may possibly put the offense behind the sticks because he's he can't acclimate to that kind of style of an offense. And then, Chris, it's look, there's the change of what I like to call the hockey effect. You are a hockey fan. You know way more about it than I do. You play it, although you play roller hockey, which isn't like real I know hockey. we won last night 10-6. to 6. I had two goals and four assists. You're welcome. But it's roller hockey, so it's not real hockey. You know, it's, it's sort of hockey. <laughs> not real <laughs> hockey. I legitimately play. The difference between the CFL and the NFL is that the field is longer and wider in the CFL. And it's sort of like what happens when you play hockey overseas. You go to these international tournaments and the ice becomes much wider. And it becomes and and the difference in width and the corners being deeper means that guys who are faster have more space to maneuver around slower competitors. So it opens the game up for offensive players and makes it tough for skilled defense. In the NFL, you narrow that field and you put a higher level of competition at defensive back out there against him. I don't care how many yards he put up in the CFL. He may simply not have the chops to adapt to a tougher level of competition. And it's just like what happens in hockey. Chris, how many times do foreign players come over to an American style, the NHL style of hockey and they struggle because they can't get used to the smaller ice. And because you've compacted everything, there's more physicality in a smaller space. That happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It's it's a constant thing. So I feel the same thing could happen to Duke Williams here with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, he probably won't be anything special. But at the same time, at a position that doesn't have an easy fix, as you guys are going to hear about next week during our free agency primer show, 
it's nice to have size and options. I mean, this time, this time last year, Chris, nobody knew who Robert Foster was. And now today, he's probably the wide receiver with the most upside outside of Zay Jones compared to anybody else on this roster. That's all we have is Zay Jones and Robert Foster. I give this guy a really good shot to make our roster. That's all we have. Well, I, I mean, it's, a smart, it's smart on him to sign here as because you, it's the best chance for him to get on a 53 roster. And obviously, that's our, the outlook of that position is going to change going forward. But in reality, we're, we're talking about a position that desperately needs upgrades. Any place we can get them. And if we can find a cheap one somewhere, take a flyer on a guy, maybe it works out. I mean, hell, Cam Wake. Cameron Wake was once, once upon a time a CFL standout. The Miami Dolphins signed him, and if, fast forward, what, seven or eight years, Chris, he's been in the league? Yeah. He's been one of the most consistent front seven players in the NFL. So it's not to say it's impossible. It's just an uphill climb. I look forward to watching the kid compete in training camp, and I can't wait to see what he can do. Now, as we look forward, as we're looking forward to Duke Williams, 2019 offseason primer, the AFC East's complexion is still murky. I mean, for those of you who are new to the show, our off-seasons have a pretty familiar pattern. We end with a season recap. We do the Bills and the AFC East off-season primers. We usually host a couple guests from other shows, from, you know, different radio stations and magazines and things like that around the division in order to try to get a feel for what's going on around us and where we kind of stack up. We do a salary cap review and preview. And we have an undrafted free agent discussion show. And then our extremely popular draft preview series, where we get some of the best draft analysts out there currently doing podcasts to come on with us and talk through the different position groups that matter to the Buffalo Bills. That's how we lay out our offseason. The problem with this year is that coming into this week, it's hard to launch into a real primer about where you fit into your division. When nobody around you has their shit settled. Well, the Jets recently got their shit settled 45 minutes ago. Sort of, but not really. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I mean, when you look around about three teams out of the division have their draft position settled. The Jets hold the third overall pick. The Bills slot in with the ninth. And the Finns have the 13th overall pick. The, the Patriots will obviously have the lowest. We're still waiting on them to hopefully lose this weekend. Then you had two teams coming into this week with unsettled head coaching searches. I mean, how are you supposed to try to prepare for a conversation like we have here on this podcast, Chris, when you don't know who's running the friggin' team? No, it's extremely difficult. It starts with a head coach. Is that an offensive guy? Is that a defensive guy? How does that change personnel on defense, personnel on offense? Who are their coordinators? So All I, that. So I want to take. So I want to take this week's show and kind of steer right into that. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. First and foremost, we're going to start with the Dolphins. Okay, the Dolphins. They started up. They are quietly. It's the thing nobody's talking about on social media. They've quietly been one of the worst head coaching vacancies on the market this offseason. <laughs> I'm going to quote a tweet here from at BSerious72. Since 2000, the Dolphins haven't had a playoff win. But we have had a 1-15 season, a cocaine-snorting coach, Bullygate, 
a top running back who quit football to smoke weed in Asia, nine coaches, 19 starting quarterbacks, but also the Miami Miracle. This is my franchise. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Indeed. Oh, I mean, Chris, what are the Dolphins going to do? Well, first of all, it's a miracle. And I have no idea who I have no idea who they get as a head coach. Whoever they get, I mean, Chris, I can see why they're coaching. They might as well bring back Cam Cameron. <laughs> I can see why the vacancy is so unattractive, Chris. They have more questions than answers at the most important positions on the team: quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, offensive guard, center, and their front seven. They have limited cap space in 2019 to try to fix those problems. As of today, according to Spotrack, they have about 13 million. They could bump that number up to 65 million. I was taking a look at it and trying to figure out who was non-essential, who had some bad contracts, who they could save money on if they tried to cost cut and just pare down to, to get extra, you know, extra cap space. They can get as high as $65 million, but in doing that, they'd have to replace the quarterback, two defensive ends, a linebacker, their number two and number three wide receivers. Chris, I... I would assume... If, <laughs> what is that? I would assume if you're a coach wanting to come in here, you'd have to... I don't... I don't you'd have to... A, the GM has to... Who, who the hell is their GM anyway? He's got to, like, go through... Uh, His name is Greer. Chris, I think it's Chris Greer. Might be it. Who knows? If you know what, call in. Uh, they, you got <laughs> okay, Mike. Show no. You well. You have to go. You have to kind of do what we did and clear all that cap space. Get rid of all your older players. Start fresh. Get young. We cleared that cap space, but we got something in return for it. We got things in return for the cap space we cleared. I mean, they're not going to. Not only that, but they have a real lack of organizational direction. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Start with their tr- owner. Are you trying to win with Ryan Tannehill? Are you trying to draft a rookie quarterback and rebuild? What are you doing? What direction is your... F- are you trying to get younger? Because right now your roster is pretty old. You brought in a lot of old guys under Gase who was trying to build his... Quote, unquote, bring in his guys. He needed a culture, and he thought that just by signing veteran players, that was going to do it for you. Like, the players were somehow going to do the heavy lifting. So now what you have is an old roster that is drastically overpaid for what they do on the field. You have to rebuild at some point, but is that now? You're stuck in this weird limbo where you don't know what you're signing up for. I mean, that, that alone makes it hard to attract a quality head coaching candidate. Not to mention, you'd have to wear fucking teal. You would have to dress. Chris, the, whoever takes that job is going to have to stand there on the sideline wearing the same color that every teenage girl from 1990 to 1997 wanted, to, wanted for their uh, matching windbreaker jacket and pants combo. It's fucking absurd. Ugh. Teal. Who, who the hell have they even interviewed? I don't even know who they've interviewed. Ugh. They're so far down on the totem pole for coaches. <laughs> Just a lot of a lot of nobodies. A lot of the head coaching candidates never even interviewed, and the ones that did did so kind of half heartedly. <laughs> but Chris, speaking of idiots who have worn teal, we have to talk about the New York Jets. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? 
I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Former Dolphins coach Adam Gase is staying in the division and has just signed with the New York Jets. Jesus Christ, what are they doing, Chris? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hey, the trend is to go offensive. And when <laughs> Kingsbury took a job somewhere else, when, well, LaFleur's only uh, interview was with the Packers, like I said, to start the show, you know, we got to get an offensive guy that's like 30. <laughs> they, that's, what that's what they're doing. For whatever reason, they didn't want McCarthy, and they settled on Gase. I'll tell you exactly why. First of all, the Jets went did go hard. They went hard after Cliff Kingsbury, who apparently is popular because he's young, he's handsome, and he knows how to dance to rap with his players. That's literally, after an hour of trying to research the guy, that's what I came away with. I have a hard time trusting anybody who spells their name Cliff with a K, okay? That's like if you say your name's Jeff. And then I spell it J-E-F-F, and you correct me and say, oh, no, that starts with a G. I'm going to throw my drink in your face. You yeah. are an ass. Well, I'll just assume you work G at... off? Yeah, I just assume you work at Toys R Us. Can, can we... Jeffrey the Giraffe. Can we just accentuate his name for a... Cliff. You're Cliff. <laughs> Jesus. What are, you, what are we doing here? What kind of hipster nonsense is this? The guy ditched, ditched the Jets to go out to Arizona. You know... Rookie quarterback Josh Rosen, <laughs> who he claims he didn't watch a ton of tape on, but then five minutes later said, ah, you know, he's one of the best throwers in the game. <laughs> oh, throwers of interceptions for touchdowns, you might mean. I mean, I mean, he's tied Nathan Peterman for pick sixes. So good. There's that. <sighs> there was some talk, Chris, as you alluded to, that former Packers head coach Mike McCarthy would be a front runner for that job. And it did seem sound in theory. I mean, the man oversaw the development of Aaron Rodgers, and he seemed pretty well respected in most NFL circles. And yet, we have a conversation here that took place on the Turn on the Jets podcast about the dynamic that goes on behind the scenes up there in New York. I mean, let's think about this. Todd Bowles gets fired. He becomes the fall guy. In that Mike McCagnin at GM and Todd Bowles at head coach relationship, there is a dynamic here at play, and I, I think it speaks to the reason why McCarthy is not the head coach. The relationship with Mike McCagnin will not work, and McCagnin will not recommend to Christopher Johnson that they hire Mike McCarthy because he becomes, you know, an afterthought at that point. McCagnin becomes an afterthought if McCarthy's the coach. It's all McCarthy's. And McCagnin doesn't want that. He's got an ego. He's got belief in his ability. He's got this money to spend. He's got the third pick and what to do with that. So I just really don't think McCarthy will get hired, and I think it's a blessing for both parties. That is Chris Moore with CBS Sports and WFAN from Turn on the Jets podcast with Joe Caparoso. Guys, you can find a link to the entire discussion if you want to hear more because it's super interesting. We're going to post it in the write-up to the show. Ultimately, I think it's to the <sighs> I think it's to the Jets' detriment that they didn't decide to get rid of the GM at the same time that they got rid of the head coach. I mean, Chris, look at what the Bills went through year over year over year throughout the drought. 
You keep a GM who hires a coach, then you fire the GM, bring in a new GM to coach to GM that old coach, and then you fire that he fires that coach, hires his own guy, but then that guy doesn't outlast that GM, and it was just this back and forth where no one's ever on the same page. For the first time in a decade, we brought in a coach and a GM who were on the same page from day one. I mean, it is that does that not seem to have been a recipe for some kind of success to well, this point? Because they have a shared vision of what they want this team to be. Well, didn't we have McDermott first, and then we got our GM? Like a month or two later. Yeah. So my point Which is... Which is a little, um, at least to me, the average football fan. It's a little weird that you get your coach, and then you get your GM. It is, but... Neither of them are at each other's throats already. Nobody has more. No one is trying to angle for leverage within the organization. And, and I guess that's what's frustrating with this. I mean, when you look at what Mike McCagney has done for the Jets, you could argue that he's just as much to blame for that team's struggles as Todd Bowles. He has some notorious draft busts. You go back through his first two drafts, Chris. Deron Lee. If you... Deron Lee and Leonard uh, Leonard uh, Williams, yes. I believe, were his first two round first round picks. If you go back throughout the next three rounds, there's nobody left on the roster. Everybody's gone because you did a poor job of drafting. Then poor cap expenditures. You went out and signed Buster Screen, who every year we have to we have to watch get roasted when he, whenever we play them. We have to watch games where you went out and signed Tremaine Johnson, and he was a detriment to your team more often than he was good, but you signed him to top cornerback money. I mean, it's... Then he... And I think the most inexcusable thing isn't just the mistakes you make, because you can make mistakes. That's the name of this, but you own your mistakes. Instead, he actively worked with the media in the front office behind the scenes against the head coach, so that when it came time for somebody had to pay the piper... It was Todd Bowles, and McCagnan somehow gets to walk away unscathed from this disaster that the Jets have been for the last few years. I mean, how is that right? And how is that, Chris, supposed to help you bring... So he's absolutely right. McCagnan did not want another strong personality in the building because it would have underscored his own flaws. But yes. that alone, that dynamic alone... To me, makes him seem unfit to pick a head coach. Yeah. He should have been fired. I mean, if, he, if they brought in McCarthy, you probably would have seen in the office like this summer where McCarthy would just challenge him on things about the roster. Well, exactly, because this is a guy who's been around championship teams. So the easy way out, the easy way out, okay? is to push an agenda that saves your own ass against a guy who you know has no leverage with the owner. You you do the work that you do behind the scenes to paint a picture that you're doing everything right and it's just this one guy who's screwing everything up. And you you maintain. You somehow are allowed to maintain this power structure behind the scenes. <laughs> and you're, everything you're doing is on a self-preservation. It's not about what's right for the franchise. And it seems like he got his his dream hire here in Adam Gase. I mean, think about it. You brought in somebody to the building now who is a failed division rival. If he ever rises up and wants to question the GM, the GM can respond with, well, guess what? You sucked with the Dolphins. You made the playoffs once. Chris, why Gase? I don't know what Gase brings to the table for anyone. 
I just told you, he's an offensive guy and he's young. That's what's in with this this round of coaching hires. I look at him and this is what I see. I see a, a quote-unquote quarterback guru who worked with Manning and Cutler. First of all, Cutler was shit for most of his career and had one good season. Any quarterback can have one good season. Chris, what was it? Josh Johnson for Tampa Bay had one great season where he was in the top 10 for all, all passers. He's not even in the NFL anymore. I think it was Josh Freeman. Josh Freeman. Thank you. Josh Freeman. Then you look at, you were, oh, you were the quarter, what was he, the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning? Yeah. You might as well not even be there. <laughs> you could literally, be, on game day, you could be on your couch eating chili cheese fries, watching the football game from home, and on your Bluetooth headset, just kind of talking to Peyton, just on the sidelines in between possessions. Well, you know, you looked all right out there. You know, maybe just, uh, I don't know, maybe yell Omaha a little bit louder next time and they'll hear you. What, what are you going to do to coach that guy? You are no quarterback whisperer, my friend. His offensive acumen, here's the biggest one. Offensive acumen. It does not excuse the fact that as the head coach of the Dolphins, every single offseason, I listen to this guy talk about how he needs to build a culture. How the Dolphins need to get tougher. I watched the tape and I saw a lot of quit in our team last year and I want to make this better. And this year, we're going to bring in some new guys who are going to not quit, and they're going to do this. And And yet every year, their team just laid down and got run over by people. Look at this second half, Chris, against the Buffalo Bills. That's a team that quit. I don't know that I've seen that much quit in a football team. They just took every punch we had to give them. And we were pissed off after that fistfight, so we gave it to them. We put the boots to them. Yeah, they had no shot at winning that game after that fistfight. I mean, in my opinion... Watching a lot of the signings that are happening now, Chris, I think it's fair to say this, just as an overarching theme. For as much as you want to sell me on this idea that, like you said, offensive minds are now all the rage. You can sell me on the X's and O's and tell me that that's what it takes to win. I'd argue that building a culture is more important. I'd argue that being the guy who as a head coach is the glue between your various position coaches, your coordinators, who motivates the team, keeps a cohesive vision as to what you want the team to be, and also knows a thing or two about a a thing or two, you know, whether it be offense, defense. You can be involved, but you have to find a way to keep everybody working together. That's far more important than just being some kind of X's and O's genius. I think I did them. I was thinking about it earlier today at work. I, I think there's 11 coaches in the NFL, head coaches that are quote unquote defensive guys. And I rope in John Harbaugh in that category too, even though he spent most of his career as a special teams coach. That's 11, 11 guys. And I think so far this coaching hire, Vic Fangio is the only defensive guy. But when I look at that, here's my question. I don't care what you know. I don't care what you think you know. Can you run a team? Can you run a team? And running a team, I mean, look at Sean McVay. Great offensive play caller. He knows a lot about football. He's got some very innovative offensive concepts. He sits on the bench and designs plays when the defense is on the field. He's not even there at the sideline taking it in. He's a glorified offensive coordinator. 
do you know that Gase did that this past season? Of course he did. And then he got he got reamed for it for As sitting on the. As he should. As should all of these guys. Because I'm sorry, when I look at a head, when I think about a head coach of a football team, I think about the guy who, at the end of the day, you are the face. You are the you are the engine that drives the car, and everybody else just gets in line behind you. And this enters into a little bit of a bigger conversation, Chris. I don't care who our division rivals hire. I don't. You know what I care about? Adam Gase, yes, it's hilarious that he just signed with the Jets. The defensive and offensive coordinator hires, the position coach hires, I'd argue those matter more. Think about this, Chris. McVay, McVay is doing what he did, but he's doing what he's doing now, and that's great. That's wonderful. We have round of applause. At the same time, he's been saddled with Wilson, who, Wade Phillips. Yes, Wade Phillips. Jesus, Wilson. Wade Phillips, who has proven year over year that when it comes to defense, the guy knows his shit. He's not a slouch as a coordinator at all. So I understand this concept of, well, he's a good Andy Reid might be the only, only, other, only coach who kind of toes that line of, hey, I have an offense and it's my offense, but I also understand what's going on on defense, and that makes me a quality head coach. I see a lot of coordinators who are getting promoted to head coach and still being coordinators. They don't have what it takes to build a culture. They don't have what it takes to build cohesion between the varying units, the varying coaches, position coaches, players. That's it. You build a culture and the rest will follow. I mean, you could argue that's what Sean McDermott's done here in Buffalo. And it's actually watching Gase arrive and fail has underscored that for me. When I, when I look at a guy like Sean McDermott, Chris, you think about everything Sean McDermott means to this franchise today. We came from what? Doug Marone, who just came in here and kind of quietly, you know, every coach trope that existed. Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to work hard. We're going to be, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then he fought with everybody. And he argued with our highest paid players and he argued with our GM and then ultimately quit on New Year's, New Year's Eve. He I quit. think so. Then you had Rex Ryan who beat his chest and told everybody that he was going to solve all of our problems and that we were going to the playoffs so we should all get ready and that he knew better. And, and then he didn't know better. He didn't know better than average. And then you had Sean McDermott who took a slightly tweaked and I would argue less offensively talented group than what Rex Ryan had and had a humble message of just the process. You have to respect winning. That's what it is. You have to earn the right to win. We don't deserve to win today, but we will when the season starts. We will work as hard as we have to to earn the right to win. Chris, you could argue... I've seen more in terms of, yes, we've seen some blowouts. You can, and I, I've been the, one of the first people to point that out. But when I look at what a coach is, and when I talk about building a culture being more important than the X's and O's, it's clear. Chris, how much better did our defense get when he arrived? A lot better. Okay. Leslie Frazier didn't hurt that. A former head coach being our defensive coordinator, who understands the pressures that a head coach is under, and also understands how to be a defensive coordinator, which is what got him his first head coaching gig. 
It's always nice if you're a first-time head coach to have a coordinator that was a former head coach to kind of help you with the nuances of becoming a head coach. Rick Dennison, for as much as I hated the guy's guts, he was a, he was a veteran guy. There on the offensive side of the ball, there for Sean McDermott to coach him up on something that he'd never really had to care about before. And they found a way to make it work. And then they came into this season and they brought in Brian Dable. And they bring in Dable and they say, okay, you used to be an offensive coordinator too and you have a lot of experience throughout college football, throughout the NFL, multiple head coaching, or excuse me, offensive coordinating gigs across the league. You represent a younger, maybe a different, maybe you have some different concepts in mind than Dennison, but you're still experienced. You're not new. McDermott deferred a lot to these guys because that's what you do is he's the glue that holds this all together. And when I look at that, when I look at what's going on across our division, Chris, I I feel I can't help but feel like we're somehow coming out on top of this no matter what happens. I mean, obviously, but but again, it's going to take time. It's going to not just see who's the head coach, but who fleshes out the rest of that staff. And so with that, the Bills have their own holes to fill, albeit not that overwhelming of changes. It's the best. Guys, when we talk about the Buffalo Bills changing their staff, for, for what seems like the first time in as long as I can remember, we're headed into year three of a Bills regime without any significant threat of turnover. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. Chris, since 20, the 2010-2011 season, that was the last time that an offensive and defensive coordinator entered into the season. <laughs> you know what I mean? Intact. Left yeah, one season, season, came into the next season, and also coached the whole year. Yeah. The only other qualifier would have been Greg Roman, except Greg <laughs> Roman got fired after week two. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. That's how long it's been since we've had any continuity at either coordinator position. Chris, that stability is huge to our development heading into next year. I mean, look at. The offensive system here and Allen, it's not going to change. If Dable's still here, the system will not change, and Allen won't have to learn anything new. That allows him to focus on everything that he knows, go into the offseason with essentially a copy of last year's playbook. And they can sit down and go, okay, well, based on the talent that we're trying to procure and what we have in-house, this is what we want to accomplish. But here's, here's the nuances of the offense that will not change. So go into the offseason and work on these things, and we'll see you when camp starts. I would assume you're obviously not going to change anything from last season, so Allen will have already known all that stuff by heart, and I think there's other wrinkles to our playbook that Dayball is going to open up to Allen that he wants to learn. Just expand his knowledge little by little for as long as we have that marriage of Dayball and Allen. Well, so conversely, when you look at what the Dolphins and Jets are doing, You're hiring new coaches who inevitably are going to bring in new concepts. Whoever your quarterbacks are, they're going to have to adapt to a whole new style of play. I mean, whatever the Jets were doing last year, it didn't work. It didn't work so badly that their coach got fired. So, But you're talking about a rookie quarterback 
who spent the whole season learning a system. And now you're going to throw a brand new system at him. Alex Smith has proven that he's not a terrible quarterback in the NFL. He's above average, we'd call him. He's not, you know, he's not Peyton Manning, but he's not. <laughs> Alex Smith? Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's not a, J.P. Lawsman, but he's not Peyton Manning. He's a game manager when he has two legs. But he's also he's also a very accurate thrower, and he he's a very understanding, or at least he acclimated very well to Andy Reid's offense. But when you look at his early career, the guy had a new offensive coordinator every single season, and everyone wondered why he struggled. As a, you were the number one overall overall pick, how did you not do better? I'll tell you how. Keep. Keep making him learn new things on the fly. That's not going to help. And that's the exact position you're putting Sam Darnold in. So for this, I'm thankful. And then I look at the defensive side of the ball, Chris. You change defensive systems. My biggest concern about Miami and their head coaching change and whoever they bring in as their defensive coordinator. If that defensive coordinator believes in a 4-3 system, like a pure 4-3 system, like what we run, all of the previous investment over the last few years that they've put into that front seven, it makes their rebuild harder because it opens up more holes in their roster. They have players who aren't fit to be playing those roles. They do. And so from that aspect, it either narrows your choices for coordinators, which means you may land an underwhelming coordinator who's going to run an underwhelming defense, or you may have to wholesale change the personnel in defense because they don't match the scheme you're bringing in. We don't have that problem, and that is huge for us because, Chris, the backbone of this defense has been the linebackers, has it not? Uh, I think the so best, I the, think the starting, biggest surprise of this year was the way the linebackers came on. Yeah, I'll rephrase that. It seems like every year that when we go into – to previewing the season, you defensively you go. Our linebacking core is shit, and I don't buy into <laughs> it. So I, I don't expect you to do that this August. It's the first time ever that I have confidence in our linebacking core. If you were to pull the rug out from under that and say, "Okay, we're going to bring in a new scheme. We're going to bring in a new defensive system with new responsibilities, with new calls, with new assignments," that's it. You throw all of that faith that I had out the window. The fact that there's going to be continuity on both sides of the ball here. Chris, I can't underscore how important that is for Buffalo. Okay? Now, when I look at the other positions that we have vacancies at, we did open up some. Offensive line coach, wide receivers coach, and special teams coordinator. On the offensive line, we expressed a lot of interest in Kugler, uh, Sean Kugler. Now, our initial interview was blocked by the Broncos. It turns out he's signing with Tampa Bay as of 30 minutes ago, which makes me want to take this beer and throw it across your kitchen, Chris. I mean, you asked me before, though, what's the big deal about Kugler? Why does anyone care? I'll tell you why. You're talking about the offensive line coach who coached Peters up here in Buffalo from a tight end to a left tackle. Then... He three times during his during his tenure here, we had thousand yard rushing running backs and gave up just twenty six sacks in two thousand seven. He goes to the Steelers in two thousand ten when his contract runs out here. Coaches up Marquise Pouncey at center to three Pro Bowls. Now that he's not in the running, I still look at that and I say, okay, that's significant that they had him in mind, and here's why. 
because I think they're thinking exactly what I'm thinking. Whoever they land, they should probably have a track record of working with youth. Because, Chris, you take a look across our offensive line. We have a lot of young players coming in. I don't know what we're going to do in free agency, but we have Wyatt Teller. We have Deion Dawkins, who's just going to be a third-year player in the league. Who knows what we're going to do at center and the other guard positions? There's a lot to work with here. I would rather defer to a guy who is a teacher. You know, when you talk about the style of position coach you are, there's there's motivators, there's teachers. You know, everyone kind of finds their own. I mean, Chris, think back to... Think back to a few years ago, we were talking about how terrible our offensive lines have been. Yeah, they've, uh, I think it was since one of Rex's seasons when we were like top five in rushing. Yeah. Since then, gone right in the toilet. Exactly. But that's what happens when you change coaches. And that's not, a, it's, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, obviously. I look across the league, though, and I see teams that have consistent coaching from guys like Kugler. There's a, there's a reason he goes everywhere he goes, and all of a sudden they're rushing attack rebounds. He's a good coach. What we have to find is a guy who teaches. We can't find a motivator because, hey, you just come in here and try to motivate guys. There, there's no talent here. You have to cultivate it. That's what's going to be important. Them finding an offensive line coach with a track record of cultivating talent and building it up. That's the most important part of this entire position for us heading into 2019. Same thing with the wide receiver position. When I look at this, Chris, I actually have an in-house candidate in mind. I mean, think about it. The wide receiver position was brutal this year. And I don't... Here's the overarching theme that we talked about last week. You know, these position coaches, wide receiver, offensive line, you got fired because you told our offense... Our offensive coordinator probably deferred to you, to uh, the talent that they should put on the field on Sunday. And you said, well, guys like Vlad Dikas and Kelvin Benjamin, they give us the best chances to win. And when we started benching and cutting these players, our offense got better. Then it, it turns out that neither one of those guys are good evaluators of talent. I need teachers and I need evaluators of talent, Chris. And I need one at the wide receiver position. Here's what I would suggest. There's a guy named David Cully. He's currently listed as the Bills quarterback coach. But he spent almost his entire career as a wide receivers coach. And he's already got familiarity through that with all, with all of the wide receiver room. Wouldn't it make sense to promote from within from a guy who already knows these players? So you'd already have you'd still keep him as a quarterback coach, you just give him the added duties of wide receiver coach? Oh, absolutely not. No, 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 Chris. I would, I would promote him to wide receivers coach. And that move would allow us to go out and get a real quarterback coach. Somebody who's worked, I don't know, maybe someone who's worked with quarterbacks. Maybe, I don't know, the guy that Josh Allen already spent his uh, summers sharpening his mechanics with, who's actually a quarterback coach. Jordan Palmer. <laughs> I'm just saying. You bring in Jordan Palmer? Even though he threw that pass backwards during a preseason football game here, yes, I would still bring him back. I think that was uh, Chris Sims. No, I think it was Jordan Palmer. Uh, I think it was Chris Sims. We will debate this. I bet you a Seagram's on it. Cheers. All right, yeah. I don't have any Seagram's. I just drank the last one earlier. (laughs) And then special teams coordinator. 
Now, here's what I know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know shit about special teams coaches. You don't okay? know not anything Other about Other than the nothing. fact that Danny Crossman is somehow like the possum of special teams coaches. Because just when you think he's dead, he pops up again and goes back to doing whatever the fuck he was doing. I don't know if you I was trying to find this and pull this up. I don't know if you saw it. This is from six days ago. But I, didn't, I didn't see it tweeted anywhere on our timeline until like recently. But it was uh, Duke Williams, the the... Duke Williams that went after Mia Khalifa retweeted uh, Rappaport's tweet about Danny Crossman getting fired and said, I loved and hated this guy at the same time. Crossman hit me, dot, dot. I don't know what that means. But then Jerome Felton chimed in, Duke, this guy was the worst. Average scheme, terrible teacher. (laughs) Well... Well, first of all, if he hit you, he was probably just trying to smarten you up. You know, sliding into porn stars' DMs is not where you want to be when you're a member of the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Don't try playing the player card with a porn star. She doesn't give a shit that you played in Buffalo. She probably couldn't find it on a map, okay? <laughs> with that said, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what makes a good special teams coordinator, but here's what I will say, Chris. You want to talk about coups? Right now, there's a guy in the AFC East. His name is Darren Rizzi. He's the current special teams coach of Miami. Okay? Multiple top 15 special teams units in the league under his purview. They've respected him enough amongst both the players and just his performance as a coach that he's actually being considered as a head coaching candidate in Miami. They are going to interview him on Friday. And it sounds by all accounts that he is the anti-crossman. He's the guy who's always prepared. He's the guy who's loose. He's fun. He builds uh, this relationship with the players. And at the same time, he finds a way to field solid units. If he ends up being passed over for a job in Miami, there's no way you as an incoming head coach would keep that guy on as your special teams coach, knowing that he was ultimately in the back of his head ambitious enough to gun for your job. He wants to be a head coach. Yeah, I could see it under that that wavelength because he was interviewed for the head coach yep. job, but he wouldn't stay around. Because, I mean, you look Crossman, he lasted, what, four head coaches? <laughs> yeah. So Darren Rizzi, in my mind, represents the only one that I know of that I would, I would, I would vouch for taking a run at. Because if the guy is being interviewed as a head coach, he's got to be a solid human being. And what did I just get done ranting about, Chris? Uh, wearing your, seal. <laughs> your staff makes you strong. As a head coach, your staff makes you strong. Bringing in a stronger special teams coordinator to add to your already strong relationship with your defensive coordinator and hopefully what is a budding relationship with your offensive coordinator, it doesn't do anything negative for you. I'll tell you that. So with that said, We're going to have a much clearer picture of where the division stands in the coming days as all of our rivals start to hire these head coaches and start to figure out their staffs. And from there, we're going to be able to go around the division interviewing people in the know to try to figure out where the bills truly stack up compared to the philosophies that are going to be employed, what these teams are, what what our opponents are looking at. Like I said, our, our outlook is pretty rosy, Chris. We've got a ton of cap money. We're in, I, I think, the top five for cap space heading yep. into the season. True statement. Okay. We've got all of our draft picks. We have no scheme changes. Nope. 
coming None of that. So we know that the holes that we have, whatever position they held last year, they're not going to change. There aren't new holes going to be opened up by a scheme change. That's huge because it saves us draft capital and money. Chris, I, I want to throw a beer. This feels so simple. And yet it's such a complex situation. I know. You just, you just uh, outlined in a more football terms why I think we're going to go to the playoffs next year, which we already have a Seagram's on Oh, that. Jesus Christ. Before we talk about us going to the playoffs, and folks, we are going to be back over the coming weeks. There's going to be a lot of interviews with a lot of different personalities from different from different fan bases around the league, especially around the division. And we're also going to be talking to a lot of draft personalities and free agent talk. It's going to be great. Make sure you come back for it. But Chris, you're talking about us making the playoffs next year. Yeah. We got to get through the playoffs this year, and that leads us to the divisional round of the playoffs. I assume you're coming over again on Sunday to watch the Patriots Chargers with me. Yeah, I will be there Sunday. Okay, here's what we're here watching for this weekend in football in the AFC. First of all, fuck the Patriots. Okay, the question is, Chris, can the Chargers pass rush make a difference in this game? I uh, think I, it seems uh, to to. Get to Brady is you rush just four, and you rush right up the middle. Well, they had 23 sacks just rushing four this season. And Brady's moving around like a crab in the pocket. So it'll be interesting to see whether that can be the difference in the game. And also, Phillip Rivers has never beaten Tom Brady. The guy can't retire with that on his – that can't be the way he goes out. It can't be. Right? Look, I hope the char- I hope I'm pulling for the Chargers to win because I don't want to. Look, all, all we need is Brady to to lose, and we'll have a different quarterback in the representing the AFC. <laughs> I mean, I know earlier this year, August, you said it was going to be uh, Blake Bortles to represent the AFC because you're, <laughs> you're an idiot. I'm an idiot. Oh, uh, you get me when I'm drunk and cocky, and you get me to agree to this nonsense. And then Kansas City. I'm watching this Kansas City game with a lot of interest because you're talking about a team that hasn't won a home playoff game since 93. Chris, 93. Where were you in 1993? 93, I was nine. <laughs> um, I had a bull haircut. <laughs> um, I wore... Uh, a fucking bull! He's got a mohawk right now. Yeah. I can't imagine what you look like with a bull haircut. Oh, I had a bull haircut up until like 98. <laughs> uh, 93, I was probably wearing a lot of lime green clothes. Um, gee, uh, I don't I I was less than a year away from moving to Atlanta. This Kansas City-Indianapolis game is going to be the best game of the weekend. <laughs> I can't get pissed you with a bull haircut. I had a bull hair. Definitely had a bull haircut. Go Frank Reich. Hopefully the Colts find a way to pull this off. Guys, thank you so much for showing up tonight. Jesus. Bull haircuts and all. You guys put up with a lot listening to us. And if you're at home, if you're at home watching playoff games, and you live in the South Buffalo or West Seneca area, Sloan, and you're not ordering Wise Guys Pizza, I don't know why you put up with that nonsense. They are the best in the area. I, Chris, you and I are going to have them on Sunday. Why? Because I, I'm sick of this sh- shit pizza. I had a DiGiorno last week. Chris can vouch for it. 
I told him I was making DiGiorno, and he sent. He goes, "Oh no, no thanks. I'm I'm gonna head home." Yeah. No, I'm not eating that nonsense. Okay, bye. Wise Guys Pizza. If you're in the area, make sure that they are your choice for playoff day, playoff game day pizza. Turn on the Jets. Hey, thank you so much for lending us your audio. We very much appreciate it, guys. You can find the rest. I'm telling you, go listen to the rest of that that conversation. Turnonthejets.com. They're on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, what else, Chris? Uh, they're on. They're not on Stitcher. No, they're not on Stitcher. They're on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Okay. So you go find their podcast. That episode in particular is really interesting because they talk about McCagnan and just the nuances of what goes on behind the scenes when it comes to the Jets and their coaching search. I found it incredibly interesting, and I hate that team. I would recommend tomorrow you go listen to WFAN and listen to uh, Joe Benino. I think he's 10 to 2. He's probably going to blow a gasket on Adam Gase. I can't wait. Guys, I got to tell you, for everyone out there who's listening right now, thank you so much for stopping in. This is the first of many off-season podcasts. Next week, we're going to go right into a salary cap preview, and we're going to talk about free agency and the different costs of classes and what we... We're going to really break down where the Bills can best allocate their money. We're going to have Paul Wineski from Hashtag Sports. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be awesome because Paul Wineski... We're serious. Literally takes off work for the combine. <sighs> I know Drew loves that word, the combine. <laughs> Salary cap, money nut, and combine guru. It's all about hand size. My God, hand Guys, size. We gotta go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you for stopping by the Rock Pal Report. <laughs>